All right, if you turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, I wonder if any of this sounds familiar to you. Your child comes home from school, and you yell out, remember, you may not watch TV until your homework is done. And then an hour later, you find him in the living room watching a movie on the tablet because you said, I wasn't allowed to watch TV. I'm not watching TV. Or same child takes his empty bowl of ice cream to the freezer and you say, do not put one more scoop of ice cream into that bowl. So what does he do? (laughs) He puts two scoops of ice cream into the bowl because you said, don't put one more scoop of ice cream. Or you say, don't do a single thing until your chores are done. And so he holds his breath. Why? Because breathing is a single thing, right? You see, there are hundreds of these that demonstrate or illustrate the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, right? Which is what our section of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus is addressing matters of the heart, which is the title of today's sermon, by the way. He's not adjusting the law that was given by God to Moses in the Sermon on the Mount. He is addressing and adjusting the interpretation of the law which was then given and taught by the teachers of the law, whose goal was, by the way, to reduce the law to the minimum requirement that was necessary to check the box as having obeyed that law. Which makes sense because if you think about it, we all actually are are rules people by nature. We just want to know, what do we need to do? Just tell me what to do. And because we are who we are, we also tend to want to find the irreducible minimum that we need to do to check the box. What is the letter of the law? But think about it. A letter is just that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a letter. It's static. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. A letter says what it says, period. But then if you move to the concept of the spirit of the law, what is a spirit except alive and active and moving and speaking and interacting with you? You see, the spirit of the law, I think we know this, it goes to the depths of what is being really said and required. The spirit of the law engages the heart of the matter and presses God's gracious will for us in every area that the law addresses. So last week we saw that Jesus said, you have heard it said that that anyone who murders is liable to judgment, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. You see, letter of the law versus spirit of the law. Let's look today at our next section in verse 27. And this is God's word. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we already know and sense that this will be sobering and that your word, sharp as a two-edged sword, certainly is going to, to find its mark in our hearts because of our hearts and our, our sinful tendencies in the world in which we live. So Jesus, I pray that, that you, the good shepherd, would shepherd us through this section. That you and your, your grace and your power would bring appropriate conviction where necessary. And that you would bring amazing hope, which is what we found in you. So Jesus, we, we submit ourselves to you now. We open up our hearts and say, please do a work. Purify us for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So once again, you can see that Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And, and what does he say? Well, first, Jesus certainly acknowledges the sixth of the Ten Commandments given by Moses. Thou shalt not commit adultery. They had heard that said, and that indeed is Right, and adultery is not only a grievous sin in the eyes of God, but adultery is also a technical term. Adultery is defined as voluntary sexual interaction between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. Now, this is different from fornication, for example, which is also a grievous sin in God's eyes. Fornication is, is any kind of sex or sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. And all men and women are forbidden from that as well, according to God's command elsewhere. But the common, the common denominator between both of those is the acting out. It's the physical, sexual interaction, which means, once again, if you think about it, the letter of the law against adultery is therefore technically achievable. And by the way, it should be achievable. I certainly pray that, that every marriage in this room will be spared from this devastating, ravaging sin toward another, toward your spouse, and the pain that it causes. You and I shall not commit adultery. And for any who have walked through this, those whom God has completely and perfectly, perfectly forgiven you, if you, have, if you have repented of that sin and if God is healing you and maybe healing your marriage, I pray that God will heal you completely. Or maybe you've been sinned against in this way. I pray that God's healing will, will complete, be completed in your heart, and in your life. But Jesus' point and question in the Sermon on the Mount is, does the heart of the Sixth Commandment simply stop at physical, sexual interaction with someone who is not your spouse? In other words, is everything short of that okay? Because you have technically not committed adultery. And to that, Jesus simply says no. So the second thing that Jesus does is, is to teach that the letter of the law is not all that God intended. 
in his command. Jesus alerts us to the spirit of the law, doesn't he? Which goes much deeper into the heart. Look at it again, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, here's a question that I'd love for us to to consider. What does Jesus' command here speak to and include and cover? What does Jesus' command speak to, include, and cover? Because first of all, it certainly speaks to the heart. In all of human history, men and women have lived their lives from out of their hearts. I, I wonder if you know this. This is for sure the clear and consistent teaching of the Bible. The heart is the core of who we are. Our heart is the functional center from which everything comes. Every thought, motive, word, action, it comes from out of our heart. Not, that, not the beating muscle, of course, but that functional core. Of who we are. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Right? And then in, in chapter 15 of this same book in Matthew, There's an argument about what makes someone clean and unclean as as you eat. And Jesus says this, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False witness, slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile anyone. So it's not just our sinful behavior on the outside that matters. This command speaks to the heart. And then this command speaks to and includes and addresses lust in the heart. What does this include? Well, it certainly includes Lust in the heart as sinful before God. Not only sinful, but as sinful and serious, equal to committing adultery. And let's, let's just look right at it. Verse 28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's here that Jesus explicitly connects the sixth commandment with the tenth commandment. And the tenth commandment, if you remember, is thou shalt not covet. Look at this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, to to remind us. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So to covet, maybe you know, is to yearn to possess or to have something that is not yours. And I'd like to sharpen the point, because if we believe that everything that we have and receive is from the provision of God our Father, then 
To covet is to yearn to possess something that has not been given to you by God. It's not just not yours. It's that God has not given that to you. So coveting is at the heart of lust because lust then takes that desire for something that is not yours in the sexual direction. So what is is lust, the lustful intent that Jesus is addressing? Well, we know that that lust is is certainly the, the language of desire. Lust is a strong desire. And while we tend to broaden the definition or utilize the word in various ways, uh, you talk about someone who, who has a lust for power or someone who has a lust for control or maybe someone has lusted over uh, his, his neighbor's new sports car or whatever it is. Technically speaking, lust is a very strong sexual desire for someone. And that's what Jesus is addressing and forbidding. The strong sexual desire in your heart towards someone who has not been given to you by God. And it's probably important, by the way, to clarify that this is different from the natural attraction that exists between men and women. This is, this is different from observing that a man or a woman is attractive or beautiful. Jesus does not prohibit the look. We all observe each other every day. Jesus says when you look with lustful intent. It's when the look leads to entertaining sexual desire that you have crossed the line into a kind of unfaithfulness in your heart. And it's there that Jesus means to confront us. Look, what is included in Jesus' command? Lust is included in the command regarding adultery according to God. And while I think that definitions of lust aren't new to us. It's one of those things where we all tend to instinctively know what it is. To be clear, the final part of our our question, what does Jesus' command speak to? What does it include? And what does it cover? Well, certainly this command covers in our modern day pornography of any kind. We all know that in the last couple of years, we've lived our lives in the midst of a pandemic. But over the last number of decades, we have seen the skyrocketing rise and impact of a porn-demic that has spread around the world and into the church and touches almost every area of our lives and our friends' lives and even our children's lives. And I don't want to take the time to prove the point through the sad, the sad statistics of how many men in particular, but women as well, who view pornography on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, both in and out of the church, it's just extremely awful. We are certainly surrounded by soft pornography every day of our lives on TV and movies and ads and media, on social media and clickbait, simply everywhere, but then access to hardcore pornography is now not only a click away on your computer or phone or gaming console or your remote control, even the -the run-of-the-mill shows that we watch, the potential to view pornographic images are only a scene away at times. 
And this scourge of pornography always has one goal, and it's to incite lust, to feed lust. Indulging pornography of any kind is indulging in sinful lust towards someone that is not yours, someone that God has not given to you. And indulging in pornography reeks in the sight of God because of the objectification of image bearers of God who are dehumanized once again in this action, considered less than fully human, and are only seen as a hot or sexy or desirable physicality and then are used to satisfy sexual desires. Jesus would say every indulged interaction with pornography is an act of coveting impurity and unfaithfulness, adultery in your heart. And I know that this issue affects women for sure and might be even more insidious there because of the caricature that it doesn't affect women much, but I know that it does. But for sure, this is an undeniably huge sin area for us men. And we want you to know that we're going to devote our men's breakfast. I save the announcement for that to here, because our men's breakfast next Saturday, we're going to talk about this. Talk about fighting this sin and hope, hope in Christ as we wage battle against this sin. So we'd love for you men to come and join us next Saturday. So Jesus' command certainly includes pornography of any kind. I think his command also includes sexual fantasy and our thought life. Because he speaks to the kind of lust of a heart, I think, here that we can develop within our own minds. Now certainly it may It may start with a stimulus that comes through your eyes, staring at someone and using your imagination as you stare. But this also includes the times when when there's nothing visible before you, but you retreat into your own thought life and entertain lustful thoughts towards someone else. Look, technically, letter of the law, adultery requires another to be there. But lust of the heart does not. And Jesus is going after our hearts and a kind of purity in our hearts that he not only speaks to here, but one day will empower by his spirit. So certainly this command includes our our thought life. And this command also certainly includes physical affairs actual adultery, but I think it also includes emotional affairs because emotional affairs are that kind of unfaithfulness that occurs when you have grown emotionally connected to someone who is not your wife or is not your husband, and yet the relationship is not physical. So technically, it's not adultery. Maybe this develops at the office or in your neighborhood or at the gym or in an online chat room or through secret text exchanges. 
I think emotional affairs are a kind of unfaithfulness by itself. And while not physical, I've never seen this kind of affair that wasn't mixed with sexual desire, even if that was being repressed or avoided. Look, it's the nature of the heart of men and women. When the heart is engaged at intimate levels, the physical is never absent and is rarely far behind. If you're married here and and currently growing emotionally intimate with someone who is not your spouse, I think Jesus would confront that. But the, the command to faithfulness doesn't begin and and stop at never have we ever. It enters into our hearts. And you might say we've never touched, but again, Jesus sees your hearts and your your desires. Now maybe we we could go on and maybe there are more areas that Jesus' command speaks to and includes and covers because we're not talking about the letter of the law, right? We're talking about the spirit of the law that interacts with each of us and each of our hearts. Each one of us has gone astray, each to our own way, all tempted in different ways. But clearly what Jesus is is trying to help us to see is what he is after. And I know that, that we know what what lust is and when we've crossed that line in our own hearts and our own thoughts and because of indwelling sin, every single one of us can say that we've done this. Of course. Who here past the age of noticing boys and girls is not guilty? The question is, should this be? Should this be, especially among the people of God, in the kingdom of God? Indulging pornography and sexual fantasy and affairs and engaging in in entertaining enticements. We, who are a people whose salvation has at its very foundation a covenant made by God that he promises to be faithful to. It's the foundation of our salvation. Picture between Christ and the church. The images of, of a marriage and a wedding. We, the church, his bride, a bride he's going to return for. This, this is, is part of the very core of the salvation that we believe in and have received. And yet these, these indulgences and lust that, that tear away the fabric of covenant are acceptable to us. No, it, it, it must not be. But God is, is transforming us into his image and his likeness to be faithful as he is. And he's doing that by the power of his spirit in us. But not only that, we have also been re- redeemed to see and treat others, not in order to gain, but to lay down our lives. To see and treat other image bearers of God with love. 
That's the, that's the overwhelming ethic of the kingdom of God. That's what changes the world. The love of Christ. That fills us from him and then flows from us to our neighbors. The kingdom of God, we're, we, we understand and have been redeemed to treat one another with dignity and respect and value. So should we have, have Christ in us and these powerful pieces of our story and how we live our lives now within his kingdom, dabble in these sinful ways. See, Jesus says, says no. Spirit of the law goes into the depth of a kind of purity of heart that then results in purity of action toward one another. That's what Jesus is getting after. That's what this command addresses and includes and covers. So, so what are we to do? And, and I get it that this, that this is heavy and it's convicting and it should be. But what, what are we to do? How does Jesus lead us? And again, let's just let him lead us. And once again, notice the necessity and urgency and, and priority of mortifying sin of the heart. Let's read this paragraph again, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. You see the urgency, priority, the necessity of dealing radically. For Jesus, the what to do certainly begins by, by taking lust more seriously than we probably do. But then he recommends radical measures to eliminate the sources or vehicles of lust in the first place. I think that's what comes through, the, the message of radically cutting out your eye or cutting off your hands. I think that connects to radically cutting out the things in your life through which or by which you are tempted to lust. And by, by the way, for the record, Jesus is not being literal here. He's using a, a word picture. No one should literally gouge out your eye. No one should literally chop off your hand. Because lust is a matter of the heart. And will still exist there, even if you are without eyes and without hands. That's not what Jesus is commending. What Jesus is saying, that if lust of the heart comes through your eyes... And through what you see, then like you might eliminate your eye, which causes you to sin to avoid judgment and the fires of hell, then similarly and radically eliminate the vehicles through which the pictures or images come in the first place. Eliminate every avenue of, of temptation, gouge it out, get rid of it, throw it away. 
if it's going to cause you to sin. And, and the ultimate result of severe judgment. And if to the degree your hands contribute toward attaining or acting out in lust, then like you might eliminate a hand that is causing you to sin to avoid judgment in the fires of hell, then radically eliminate every avenue of temptation that might cause you to sin as well. Gouge it out. Cut it off. Radically eliminate is what Jesus encourages us to do. Urgent, priority, now, don't wait. Not a soft response, a hard response. Eradicate, eliminate, immediately. Eliminate the avenues of pornography. Delete the apps if you need to. Pursue filters or blockers if you need to. Cancel the subscription. If you need to, get rid of the channels. Go back to a flip phone if you have to. Get rid of the laptop if you have to. Quit the Netflix or HBO series. Or radically cut off that relationship. Walk a different direction around the office. Quit the job if you need to. What's better? Quit the job if you have to. Block the emails. Block the phone number. Cut off interacting with him or her alone. Erase the pictures of him or her on your phone. Put to death the habit of staring and second looks. Keep your eyes up here. Whether you are hetero-attracted or same-sex-attracted, the ethic is the same for all of us. Purity, absolute purity of the heart and action. That's what God calls us to. So avoiding sexual immorality of any sort begins by eliminating anything that would lead to that in the first place. We can join with Job in making a covenant with our eyes not to look lustfully at a woman or a man. And if you can't, then erase or eliminate or eradicate the forms of temptation in your life. That's what Jesus is commending. And for some of you here, you know right now that's what you need to do. And I'm telling you there's going to be a battle between your flesh and your spirit. Because indeed, the spirit is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in that battle, it's my prayer for all of us that you will utilize all of the resources of the power of Christ to push cancel. Christ in you. The power of Christ and his spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the dead that dwells in you, to give you power to say no, to eliminate, to even make a radical change in your habits. These commands are for our good, and we should respond to Jesus. They are meant for our health and our joy and our flourishing. I hope you know that I, I simply, I love my job. And it's, of course, more than a job. It's, I feel it's a calling from the Lord. It's a joy. It's a privilege to be a pastor. 
But there are some things that I just simply hate about my job. And it's the time when that husband or that wife or that couple comes in and the absolute devastation that comes at so many levels that is so utterly destroying and painful, like a wrecking ball that goes through a marriage with shattered pieces, not unhealable, not unforgivable, power from God to change and repent and to even restore and redeem. But I hate that. I hate the sin that so easily entangles us. There's a sense that Jesus says, go to the end. What's the end game with this? Well, in, in this situation, it's, it's the fires of hell. It's, wouldn't it be better to like go the rest of your life with a flip phone texting? Like what is a, what is a C again? Is that like three times on the two? Does anybody remember that? Versus spending an eternity being punished in the fires of hell? What's, what's the end game of, of our lusts? That, that only grow deeper and deeper and deeper and embolden more and more and more until you're tempted to act out or you do. Except sitting on that couch. Thinking, what have I done? What have I done? Jesus says, cut it off now. Look to the end now. Cut it off now. These are gracious commands for our good and for our flourishing. This isn't prudish Christianity. If you're not a Christian here, don't follow Jesus. This, this is how Jesus talks to us about how we're to live our lives because he's a part of our lives. We'd love for him to be a part of your life. This isn't Victorian England prudish Christianity. This is God's heart for our flourishing and joy and freedom and release from pain and agony and grief. He says, how much better is it to get rid of those things now in order to see God forever and avoid the fires of hell? Because you remember, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But I actually want to close with the other beatitude, which is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Do you remember that God calls us blessed when we are convicted and when we mourn? Not only over our sin, but over our sinfulness. I know that, that today is convicting. This sin is common to us all. Denzel Washington says in the movie, Glorious Character, he says it stinks bad. And we all covered up in it too. Ain't nobody clean. But then he says, be nice to get clean, though. Which is where the power and the hope that we have in Jesus comes in. I just want to close by encouraging you to remember three things. Remember three things. Remember first, that Jesus came for sinners, not the righteous. Jesus came for us. 
The Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus' attempt to make sinners into Pharisees, into a rule-keeping bunch who stay clean on the outside. He came to save sinners like us and to make us like him from the inside out. Look, our church is not a museum of the holy. (laughs) We are not a museum of holy people. Our church is like a gospel hospital on a bloodied battlefield. Look, your sin does not repel Jesus from you. He is drawn to you and me at the very point of our sin in order to save us, not reject us because of our sin. Look, somebody needs to hear that. You're so ashamed of this sin in your life that you you stand far away from Christ, from the very one who has the power to enter into that spot, who knows your frame, who knows that you are but dust, who knows that you sin in this way. You have, like a sheep gone astray, maybe in these ways, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look, go to Jesus, because he is a friend of sinners. He is a friend of lusting men and women like you and me. Secondly, remember that there is no sin that the blood of Jesus can't cover and forgive. Every time you commit it and then genuinely repent, a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. And it's the grieving and mourning and confessing and repenting and the holy frustration and that that inner rage against our sin and the desire to stop, it's that that pleases God. The glory and good news of the gospel isn't if you sin, it's always when we sin. We have an advocate before the Father who pleads with the scars on his hands and feet inside, Father, forgive him again and again and again. Father, forgive him. The penalty and punishment of that sin that was committed again and again and again was placed on me. I gladly bore it all. And by my blood, forgive that sin and cover that sin again and again and again. He's the one who said, how many times? Seven seven times 70? No. Or yes. Seven? You get it. He's the one that came up with that. You don't think that that's his heart toward you with regard to this. There's no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive. Today, you can confess your sin and he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We just took this meal together to remind us that the blood of Jesus is powerful to cleanse us. And because of the glory of justification, Jesus came as one of us and gives us his perfect righteousness so that when you trust in Christ, he sees you right now as if you've never sinned and never lusted. Look, this is good news, brothers and sisters. On a heavy Sunday, this is great news that the blood of Jesus, what can wash away our sin, let me ask you? Nothing but the blood of Jesus again and again and again. And though you fall, you get back up and confess your sin and receive forgiveness and fight against it and go back to what needs to be eliminated and mortified. And tomorrow morning you wake up with new mercies ahead of you, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on. Lastly, I'd say remember Christmas, and maybe that's weird. But remember Christmas when we talked about the incarnation of Christ and what that means for us. 
Because when Christ enters into our world, he's not repelled by us, he enters in. And when he enters into our life, Christ comes with light. Light to see what's truly sinful. This sin often hides in the dark, and it's the kind of sin that grows best in the dark. But Jesus Christ comes with light, and he comes with truth. To answer the question that your flesh fights with you, that says, did God really say? Did God really say? Jesus will bring truth to help you to see what is truly right and what is truly wrong and what he truly desires for you, for your good and for his glory. And Jesus Christ brings power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you to fight. And lastly, Jesus Christ brings hope. He brings hope. Look, the danger in this regard is giving up. The danger is giving in. The danger is rolling over and quitting. But how can we do so with a risen and resurrected Christ inside of us who gives us hope to change as we go to him, asking him for power again and again? And also final hope that one day, get this, there'll be a day in a new heavens and a new earth in perfected bodies where we will never lust again. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine? Perfect interactions with men and women image bearers of God for all of eternity in the face of Christ and in the presence of the glory of God. Like that's, that's the hope that we're living for. And that power has broken into this present evil age and gives us power now to say no to ungodliness, which is what Christ calls all of us to, you and me going forward in this command. It's the spirit of the law that Jesus is after. Worship team, you can join me and please remember as we close that maybe, maybe the Lord is, maybe he's at work, maybe he's talking to you right now and you know it. Convicting you in a specific way. I, I encourage you to respond to him. Respond to him. Listen to what Jesus says. Follow him. And remember that your sin does not define you. You are defined by who you are in Christ. You are defined by Christ in you. Amen? So we'll, we'll scatter from here in the power of the one who lives in us to address and face this temptation and see him help us. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we commit all of this to you in all the various ways, Spirit of God, that you're at work in this room even now. We thank you that your word is powerful, it's active. Thank you that you have said that it, it will not return to you empty or void. That it will accomplish what you desire. So Jesus, please accomplish what you want this word to to happen in our lives. Lord, may there be freedom from the chains of sin that so easily entangle us in this regard. Lord, may there be holy repentance. May there be heartfelt resolve or to fight not in our own strength. 
It's not by might and not by power, but by your spirit. So help us, we pray. And Jesus, we close fixing our eyes on you, not on us. Not on the sin that remains, but we fix our eyes on you and the hope and power that we have in you. And the forgiveness because of what you've done on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.